Hey there, and welcome back to another bonus episode of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and life and mission. Today, I sit down with Michael Leahy, and we begin to discuss uh, in a topic that it in the church we um, have maybe touched on lightly or superficially, but seem to like to avoid. And I think it makes us uncomfortable, it makes us nervous, and that subject is, is pornography and sexual addiction, um, both on those who have been traumatized by it and those that are actually struggling with addiction. How do we care for, for people and how do we help restore them to God, help restore them um, to their families and in the process? And I think Michael's going to give us some great tools. He's going to provide some great insight. He's going to share about his testimony testimony, how God has brought him from a place of, of a 30-year relationship with pornography, becoming sexually addicted, having an affair, losing his family, getting divorced, being on the brink of suicide, and how God has, has worked in his heart and worked in his life. And now he leads Brave Hearts Ministries where he, he helps people and cares for people that are challenged and struggling with pornography and also at the same time cares for those who have been traumatized by a spouse um, that... Uh, that has been addicted and how they felt betrayed and how they become traumatized in the process. And so how we can care, I think at times in the church, we've, we've not done a very good job uh, of caring for those that have felt betrayed. We can maybe accuse them, point the finger at them, say, you know, if you would have did this, this, this different, your husband wouldn't have, wouldn't be looking at pornography and placing the blame on, on them. And, and that is very unfounded, very unbiblically based and, and hurtful and uh, just adds to the trauma. So we have a, a very transparent conversation today, Michael and I, and um, I think it's going to provide value to you. You might ask, why does this, how does this fit into the COVID um, bonus episodes? What we've seen is an uptick and um, people that um, maybe some past temptations that they thought were behind them now with a lot of time and under the stressful situation, they've returned to those relationships with pornography. Um, we've also seen that people now have more time to sit in front of their computer and their eyes begin to to uh, shift and dwell and go to places that um, that they hadn't been in a long time, or maybe they're opening up new doors. I remember I got to Burkina Faso. Um, we connected at the internet, I think about four kilobytes per second. And if you wanted to look at internet pornography, it was impossible. But the majority of us who live on the continent today or live around the world have access to high-speed internet, and we have pornography is readily, easily available. And it's a great temptation. And so we, we pray today that this podcast will help provide, provide clarity for you. Michael's going to pray at the end. And um, if you don't listen to any of the rest of the podcast, listen to the end of the prayer as Michael prays for those that are struggling and encourages them to come to seek help. And um, here at the Clarity Podcast, we are glad um, to, to be able to connect you with member care or connect you with someone that might, would help to be able to walk with you in this process. And um, also, Michael prays for those who feel um, betrayed and speak some wisdom and insight and value into that, that our identity is found in God. And um, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings. It's uh, great to be back today on the Clarity Podcast with my friend Michael. Actually, he's my friend and also my teacher, and I'm learning from him in Bravehearts University. Michael, would you go ahead and introduce yourself and just share a little bit about yourself and your ministry and the journey that God has you on? Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to this, and 
finally we get to do this. It's been a while uh, that I know you've been <clears throat> kind of pursuing this and I've been wanting to do it as well. So glad everything worked out. Um, yeah, I've, um, I'm the executive director and founder of Brave Hearts uh, Ministries. So Brave Hearts is a, um, it's a nonprofit faith-based organization that was formed in 2002. We were commissioned by Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church. And, um, you know, it was really a ministry that was given birth out of my personal story. So my story is in a, in, you know, make a long story short, uh, I was exposed to pornography when I was about uh, nine or 10 years old. And that's when I started a relationship with pornography that lasted for um, the next 30 years before everything kind of started to <clears throat> really fall apart. But um, over the course of that 30 years, I developed a different relationship with it where it became more of a need eat as opposed to a want. And of course, that became a gateway for developing compulsive and addictive, you know, relationship to the material where I was going to it, I was using it, not really wanting to, uh, but it was just meeting a certain need. So I had legitimate needs based on whether I was lonely at the time or, um, or, or hurt, you know, uh, or frustrated or anxious or nervous or whatever, um, whatever that might be. And I was using pornography as an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. Hmm. And uh, like most people that start out with a relationship with pornography, they, uh, you do this as kind of a pastime, but then it becomes a pathway. And that pathway actually led to uh, really the disintegration of my 15 year marriage. Um, my addiction escalated, especially when uh, internet porn became mainstream. Uh, I was in the computer industry, um, so I was a computer industry insider, so I was using internet porn, discovered it long before most people in kind of the, um, in the general public even knew about it, and uh, man, it just, <clears throat> like it has done for a lot of people, really escalated my use, it escalated the, the veracity of this into a, just a raging addiction, and um, I went along with that escalation process, eventually went from porn uh, on, you know, paper and porn via video to porn with skin on, had an affair with a woman uh, that was not willing to leave that relationship. So it ended up costing me a, a 15 year marriage, a, a relationship with two boys, um, uh, you know, my family, my uh, business partnership with my brother. I mean, I lost everything. Um, took me about two years to hit bottom. Uh, that may be hard for you to believe in terms of going from divorce to what happens in those next two years. But I had, um, Aaron, I had really just given myself over to this addiction and had, uh, you know, abandoned my relationship with God. Mm. Uh, I was a born again believer back when I was 27 years old. So this addiction <clears throat> really, I, I was maybe introduced to porn uh, growing up in a, in a good, strong Christian home but not being a born again believer, but it really escalated into a full blown addiction, even as I had this growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So, um, so religion obviously wasn't going to be the solution, but, um, but a relationship, a, a, a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ was, and that yeah. came as a result of hitting rock bottom, being suicidal. Um, I finally woke up when I was um, thinking about what I would write on a suicide note to my two boys um, it had gotten that bad. And, uh, that was my wake up call. I just hmm. fell prostrate on the ground, um, crying out to God, uh, could not believe that I was actually considered, um, taking my life, but I knew that I had taken it to another level and I was just distraught. I was totally, totally lost myself. And at the time, you know, God reminded me that he was still there. 
that yeah. uh, that he had not lost left he had not left me I had left him yeah and so that started a totally new journey that um, really was around the year 2000 and has continued to this time I I just was really working on trying to survive I mean it was totally out of self-interest that I started to work really hard at my addiction I had actually gotten involved in some recovery activities um, you know right away when the affair became public and then you know, I disclosed to my wife that I was using pornography and all. So I'd been in recovery for about two years before I lost my marriage hmm. while I was faking and I was faking it, you know, the whole way. Um, but it just wasn't until I realized that I couldn't, you know, I just totally could not manage my life and thought that it was not worth living that I finally turned this part of my life over to God and hmm. and fully surrendered everything. And that was the beginning of what is now Bravehearts? I, I, you know, worked really hard at recovery. Started Bravehearts in 2003, uh, toward the end, kind of middle of 2002, I guess. Um, and you know, I've been in full-time ministry ever since. I left a six-figure job in the tech industry and went into full-time ministry, not having any idea what I was doing <laughs> and not really knowing where this would lead to. But surrounded myself with some really great people. Um, fortunately, had folks like North Point Community Church come alongside and sponsor me in a new ministry incubator program um, mm-hmm. that I went through for two years to learn how to shift from being a software salesman to, you know, working with donors and, and developing, um, you know, a, a, you know, global ministry really. And that's kind of where we are today. My wife has joined me mm-hmm. in this. I did remarry. So I lost my first marriage, but then met uh, my uh, wife, Christine in 2006 and we married in 2007. So we're going on 13 years and um, she's my co-CEO. Yeah. She's the brains behind this thing. I'm just kind of the the mouthpiece, but you know, she's the one you were mentioning before <clears throat> how much you enjoy going through the mentor training yeah. and uh, and masterclass, you know, the vehicle that we now have for being able to really reach people that are in your audience, essentially yeah. folks that don't have the opportunity to maybe get face to face with a counselor or therapist or what have you. Uh, but giving them, you know, the access to the brightest minds of the best thinking in this area. And we've developed some other great tools, some virtual summits and other things that we've done. Of course, a whole one-on-one and group mentoring model. And um, so I'm really proud and excited to be working alongside my wife with that. And um, yeah, and I'm really excited to be here because I know the need is so great uh, in the community that you serve. Yeah. You mentioned you've talked, shared about the relationship with pornography. And, you know, I think uh, if we're all truthful and honest, um, we've been exposed to pornography. It's it's. And so missionaries at times, they will have had a relationship. Maybe they they were looking at pornography online or whatever. And then they they get to the mission field and they think they left that relationship in the United States. And then they they get to to Africa or wherever they're at. And then um, they get in a stressful time. And then that relationship um, seems to come back. Is that a common thread or theme that you would see? Um, and what wisdom or advice would you have for somebody that thought they left that relationship in America, but now they're on the mission field and they're really struggling because they thought that relationship was there, but they've kind of brought that relationship with them? Yeah, uh, no, it is very common. In fact, um, you know, a lot of times we'll think in our minds, well, if I just get married, I won't, you know, need to use this material. I won't be attracted to it. Or if I become a Christian, that's one of the reasons why I mentioned that, you know, I, I went back and mentioned that 
I was a born again believer back when I was 27, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, you know, so, uh, to dismiss the idea that maybe, you know, when I hit rock bottom and started to get healthier in recovery, I've been in recovery now for 22 years, I guess going on 23 years. Uh, so I've had a long, long stretch of, you know, long-term sexual sobriety and all. Um, and, uh, but that didn't happen as a part of the, you know, coming to Christ process. It was Mm -hmm. a decision I had to make to return to God, you know, much like the prodigal. Uh, and, and, and of course there are people that will say, well, I'm going to start a ministry, maybe even, you know, I'll become a mentor and that way it won't be a problem. Or, um, you know, I'll go into this organization or I'll move to this different city. I mean, we just do that to ourselves to think that maybe with a fresh start, Mm -hmm. you know, things will get better. Uh, and that's really, I think a strategy of the enemy, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and it's especially vicious, uh, for those, um, for those in the missions field, Mm -hmm. because, when you go into most missionary settings where you're away from your support system, you're away from your network of close friends and and other supporters, you're away from your home church, you know, they may be there sending you emails or, you know, send you attaboys or what have you, but it doesn't replace the fact that you're in a foreign place, maybe around a foreign language, uh, you know, you're in a new environment. And so you've lost a lot of that support system that you had built up and now why hasn't my desire for seeing this material gone away? Hmm. And by the way, you know, especially you mentioned, you know, missionaries in Africa and, and my wife and I had actually gone to Kenya um, to, uh, to work with an organization there years ago uh, because they were struggling so much. And they explained to me, they said, we, we may have been behind the eight ball when they came out with landlines, but now everyone has a cell phone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in a varying amount of minutes to be able to consume. But so in other words, everyone, regardless of where they live in, you know, regardless of where they live in the world, you know, has access to what we kind of call the crack cocaine of sexual addiction. I mean, hmm. you know, access to pornographic messages, uh, every possible genre of this, you know, whether it's uh, sexual oriented chat, you know, sexting. Um, you know, just visual uh, connections with people, um, email, what have you, it's all in the palm of your hand. And so mm-hmm. no one can really escape that. And um, as, <clears throat> you know, as we've also learned, a lot of this is not, it's not a matter of having, you know, uncontrolled desire or that desire is bad. It's just desiring the wrong thing, you mm-hmm. know, instead of desiring God, as our friend John Piper talks about, you know, you're desiring other things that you get attached to mm. and they can lead you down a destructive path. And of course the enemy loves that also. Yeah. So, yeah. What are some red flags you would a missionary should be looking for? You talked about different types of sexting and, and different things. Is there certain things that, that, that should raise a red flag for maybe a missionary sitting in a, a country in Africa or Europe, wherever. And, um, some red flags you think, man, they, sh- you should pay attention to that and this and that. Yeah. Well, there's, there's different red flags depending on who you are. Now, if okay. you're the spouse of a struggler or mm-hmm. someone that you suspect is struggling, some of the signs that you need to look for is definitely a change in disposition, a change in personality, maybe more withdrawn, mm-hmm. uh, definitely more defensiveness, definitely more arrogance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there could be, depending on um, how uh, compulsive or addictively drawn that person is to sexual content or the material, there could be an encouragement for your, you know, sexually addicted partner to, for you to partake in certain things um, sexually that you're uncomfortable with. 
uh, that's never been a part of your relationship that seems, you know, that they're trying to position or pose as, Hey, let's just try this or whatever. But you're like, I'm, I'm, you know, horrified by the Hmm. thought of doing that. Why would you even suggest that? It's very typical for an addict to, uh, as you become more and more addicted. And again, I developed this addiction over a 30 year period of time. So over that 30 years from time of first exposure to time of being fully addicted, I was probably only clinically uh, defined as a sex addict for about the last five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, so I'm speaking in terms of being with someone who's at the culmination of their relationship with pornography that probably has gone on for decades for them as well. Um, but you see this, uh, it's just the antithesis of the character of Christ, Hmm. right? So, uh, you know, and you can turn that around and use that as a guide for someone who claims to be taking recovery seriously or trying to get well and, um, and says that they're not looking at the material anymore, or they're not in that affair relationship anymore, what have you. If you don't see the gentleness, the kindness, the, um, you know, the, the, the forgiving heart, the servant leadership mindset, you don't see the character of Christ in a person, but they're proclaiming that, you know, not looking at that stuff and they're, you know, being short, short fused and kind of get angry easily and all that. Then you're dealing with the prototypical addict, which is a compulsive pathological liar. So Mm. one of the people who's an expert in this area of sexual addiction, which is what we call a process addiction, or it's a behavioral oriented addiction, as opposed to substance addictions like, you know, being addicted to cocaine or some other, you know, a painkiller or what have you, or, or alcohol. Um, These behavioral addictions tend to, to follow these certain patterns. And, you know, there are characteristics that if you see the majority of these characteristics showing up in an individual, then you know that they're really being, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really more than just a participant in a sinful behavior, but it's gone from isolated sexual sin to, mm-hmm. you know, sexually addicted behavior, what I call habitual sexual sin. And Patrick Carnes is a, is a secular leader in this area, was a really the pioneer in this area. And I love what he said once he said, you know, addicts, sex addicts are a walking contradiction. Hmm. So that's really all you need to hear is if you're the loved one or the partner or spouse of someone that you suspect is sexually addicted, if they feel like a walking contradiction to you, you know, okay. if there's a lot of things that like, maybe even you can't put your finger on it, but you just sense that something's not right. You know, Jesus was never accused of that. Right. <laughs> I mean, everyone knew where he stood, yeah. but when you have someone who's double-minded and speaks out of both sides of their mouth and what have you, then, you know, you have, you have some real character, character yeah. problems. Yeah. The, on the side of the addict, it's really, really hard to tell Aaron because, and I'm speaking as one who, you know, who is a recovering addict myself. When you're really deep into this as addictive compulsive behavior, if you were to ask me, Michael, where would you put yourself on a scale of one to 10? 10? 10's full blown addict. One is never struggle at all. As a full blown addict, I would probably peg myself at a six or a seven. Hmm. But someone who really knew me and someone who could see exactly what I was doing would look at, would look at my life and say, dude, you're like a nine or a 10. 
Yeah. And, and you'll learn to do that. You'll learn that you probably, we kind of inherently already know that those of us who have been through recovery, because we can see, we can spot an addict from a mile away, you know, mm. because it, we know what that looks like. We've walked yeah. in those shoes before, but it's really, when you're asking, what are the signs? It's really hard for addicts to see their addictive behavior themselves with any kind of accuracy. Yeah. And this is what I talk about when I, this is what I refer to when I talk about they kind of live in a fog. They addicts lack clarity. They, mm-hmm. which is what leads them to make poor decisions that could risk the, the you know, not just the health of their relationship uh, and themselves, but also you know their loved ones. I've had people who come to me and they've been distraught because uh, you know their partner passed on a sexually transmitted disease to them. Uh, have had people who've had children out of wedlock, you know, and now all of a sudden, what do we do with this? I mean, it can be really, really devastating. But people that may seem to make really good judgment decisions in like their work life or whatever, um, it's just kind of the cover that they use. But the Jekyll and Hyde reality is that they're making disastrous decisions that eventually will catch up with them. Wow. Wow. And so is, is we, you've talked about the process. One thing I've really appreciated, um, um, one of your either podcasts or the teachings I'm going through, you talked about the idea that this is something when, if someone feels that they're addicted, it's something that they have to take seriously. I think you mentioned the idea that, you know, you wouldn't just say I'm out of shape. I'm going to go to the gym one day a week and that's for, t- for an hour and that's going to take care of it, but it's a daily discipline. Can you talk about masterclass and what you've mm-hmm. um, developed for that and the daily discipline? discipline for somebody that's thinking, man, I'm struggling and I just don't know what I need to do. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Well, you know, getting back into my own, my own recovery, one of the things, Aaron, that I did as an addict was uh, early on my first two years when I was faking recovery, I was basically an addict who didn't want to get well. So Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I would manipulate and control situations and make sure that I was around people, even helping professionals that didn't know as much about this addiction as I did. And that's easy to do. Find someone who's not a specialist, right? Um, So one of the things that uh, I was very, uh, I look back and I'm just very thankful to God for was when I decided to take my recovery seriously, I went and found a counselor, licensed counselor who happened to be a recovering sex addict himself. That's not always the case. In fact, most of the time it's not. And a lot of times people will go to someone of the other gender because um, as my wife says, there are far more women in counseling than there are men. And so it might be hard to find someone in that area. But the person I went to, the person I turned to was, you know, they knew a lot about this area from a professional standpoint as a care provider, but they also walked the walk. And that was a game changer for me. So fast forward to number of years ago, I guess it was, uh, well, my wife was, um, met my wife and she went into the army the year after. And, um, and so we were in the Northern Virginia area which is really where the whole genesis of the mentoring model, a mentoring centric model came up for me. And it was a kind of result of hearing a powerful uh, sermon message. I think you probably have already watched the video and the training uh, Andy Stanley did called one, not everyone, yeah. uh, which is this idea of you may not be able to help everyone, but you can at least help someone. Yeah. And that means, you know, go deep and long with them. Uh, and of course for me, that was, like a big light bulb went off and I thought, well, I do this for a full-time job. So I could go deep and long with someone, but I could probably do it with several people. And then I was just really thinking back on my own recovery and and the people, you know, something that I'm sure you run into and a lot of your missionary friends do as well, where, um, you know, someone just 
they hear that someone is having success mm-hmm. and experiencing freedom from this addiction, or it could be anything else, or maybe it's, you know, a spouse who goes to another spouse that hears that they were able to keep their marriage together and things went well, you want to talk to them, right? Yeah. You want to find out what do they know? Because, yeah. uh, you know, you don't just want the book knowledge, but you want someone who's walked walk the walk and who's been there. Um, it's also a very personal area that, uh, you know, for us to deal with as human beings that has a lot of stigma associated with it and has a lot of mistreatment associated with it in terms of the way folks that don't really understand it respond, i.e. telling the spouses, well, just have more sex with your husband and it'll be fine. He'll stop looking at material, you know, or whatever, which is ridiculous and the worst advice you could ever get. But, um, but so, so this idea of, working with someone was the genesis of, you know, of me taking on this mentoring centric model of thinking, okay, I know that I can do it because I've had people come to me just say, you know, Hey, I know that you're experiencing freedom from this. Can you, you know, help me? And I would just say, well, just follow me and I'll, I'll take you through the material that I went through. Yeah. And you take on this role of being like a Sherpa guide. Yeah. And so the Sherpa guide concept is really important because you don't want to entrust your life climbing to the top of Mount Everest with someone who maybe was a professor of geology or geography or whatever, <laughs> you know, they may have really great credentials, a great education, but I'll take the fifth grade educated Sherpa guide that lives in the mountain shadow yeah. any day. Right. Yeah. And, and I think when we think about recovery, I tell people find someone who's been through this because otherwise it's all theoretical. Yeah. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it feels like. They won't, they won't have the proper empathy and they won't, they won't, It'll just be too easy for the the con artist addict that is in those of us who developed an addiction <clears throat> to be able to pull the wool over their eyes, and no one will ever call BS on us, you know. And mm-hmm. that's what that's what recovering addicts can do. Um, we have just a more finely tuned meter for that. So that's a long intro to what we're doing with masterclass. One of the things that was really in this idea of daily disciplines. One of the things that came out of this pilot program that I developed once I started mentoring folks and started developing a model and a structure for it um, to see if I could do it uh, as a sustainable ministry, something that would help you, you know, generate revenue and and even allow you to do it as a full-time job if you wanted to. Um, So once I had gotten to that point, at some point in time, I'd mentored like over a hundred guys, like one-on-one, an hour a week, for, you know, a year plus, Mm -hmm. uh, just going really deep and long with these folks. Right. And I'd take them through the same workbook curriculum that I had gone through myself, you know, so it's kind of like literally follow my lead. I've been here before and I'll help you through it. Over half of the guys were experiencing long-term sexual sobriety as a result of that, which compared to the, the traditional approach of being pointed to a counselor who may or may not have experience in that area, going to 12 step meetings or whatever, long-term sexual sobriety rate, you know, success rate essentially uh, is horrific. It's like two to 3%. Wow. So like only two to 3% uh, of the, you know, two to three out of a hundred who get into recovery referred the way that most pastors and people refer people into recovery ever get clean, you know, ever experience freedom. And, um, and I, I knew that this would be a better way. So so when I saw the success, what I did is I went back to the people who've been successful and I said, tell me what is the, the, what is the number one thing that you have been doing 
that's helped you establish and maintain sexual sobriety, or in other words, to be free from this, right? Because yeah. the temptations always be there, but to really be free from this. And even though I think in the back of my mind, I really kind of wanted them to say, well, Michael, it's because you're such a great mentor, you know, and you've been doing such a great job and all, but you know, just joking aside, um, the reality was they didn't say that. They said, yeah. you know what? The, the biggest thing that I do is every day, every day I try to spend at least some time, usually 15 to 30 minutes working on my connection with God. Mm-hmm. And then 15 to 30 minutes working on my recovery. Okay. And I, I started hearing that over and over again from these guys. And what I got was this picture of what I refer to in my mentoring methodology as the daily disciplines. Okay. So to me, daily disciplines is spending about 15 to, if I can get my guys to spend 15 to 30 minutes a day. And by that, I mean, you know, I'll give them the weekend off or whatever. I mean, right not really getting it off because they're going to church on Sunday, but uh, you know, five days. So let's just look at the work week. If I can get them batting 500 or better of doing daily discipline. So at least three out of the five days, I mean, I know there's going to be huge progress. The guys who are doing four or five out of five, which means, you know, five out of seven days, really um, they're going to make huge strides. And sure enough, that's what my wife and I decided to develop masterclass around was this idea of, let's take the best thinking from the top experts in the area of faith-based recovery for sexual addiction and betrayal trauma. So mm-hmm. for the addicts and for the spouses, and let's package this in a way that makes it easy for someone to do their daily disciplines. So, you know, maybe 10 to 20 minute long videos at most, give them a couple questions, thought provoking, you know, questions to consider, maybe a little, you know, inspiring scripture verse. And just keep it real simple, though. It's just like if you just give me 30 minutes a day, you know, um, to do this, because we, we, we really kind of wrapped the work on your recovery together with the work on your, you know, connection with God. Um, because most people that we talk to, um, they already are doing something on the spiritual discipline side. Maybe mm-hmm. not consistently as often as they should be, but they've already, they've already got an idea of that, but they didn't know what to do to work on the recovery. And we just said, what would it be like for you to spend 15 to 30 minutes listening to an expert, give you his best thinking, his best wisdom, his greatest ideas. And that's how masterclass was born. And so within masterclass is a bundle of resources. And one of those is the daily disciplines. And you know, okay. cause you're, you know, gotcha. going through that. And, and the daily disciplines are just these little nuggets where you can listen to it or you can watch it on your you know, video. We use a really nice uh, learning management system to kind of package it easily so that it's very easy to get to and just you know, hit it, listen, watch, you know, think about, or some guys download the, you know, the um, little worksheets we have that just have the three questions, have some excerpts if someone doesn't even want to listen to or watch the video. You know, you can just read through some of the high points. And and if you, do, I'm telling you, the, the key there is the consistency. Mm-hmm. If you consistently do that on a regular basis, and if you bat over 500, you know, let's say four times a week, so yeah. four out of seven days, you're going to get better because what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Hmm. And so as long as you're doing this, you're feeding the right things yeah. and you're starving this, you know, kind of, uh, 
inclination that you might have to to wander off and take care of these legitimate needs in a very illegitimate way. So it's a great approach for this addiction, but it's also, it'll work for anything, you know? And so that's why we tell the spouses to do the same thing. And in fact, we've got We've got a masterclass in daily disciplines for the spouses. We're just about to come out with one on spouse betrayal this summer that uh, is totally geared to the woman and is kind of a repurposing of material that we put together in a virtual summit we did last year, specifically for spouses and partners of sex addicts. And it's unbelievable. I mean, combined, I think we did the math and out of all these interviews that I did with these experts to kind of guide them to giving us their best thinking uh, I think we ended up with like two two thousand years of wow. combined out of one hundred and fifty people out of combined ministry experience and personal recovery experience. Yeah, and it's the combination of those two things that's really key. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You mentioned in the intro to that. What advice, counsel, wisdom would you have for a parent of maybe one they've discovered one of their children or a spouse that discovered their their spouse is engaging in in pornography or sexual addiction, and they want them to get better, but the child the their their children or their their spouse doesn't want to. Can they, and they're frustrated. Do you have any wisdom or counsel for them, what they can do in the waiting time or what they should or should not do? Because I speak to parents and I speak to spouses that are super frustrated and they want their child to, to not look at the pornography and not engage, but the child's not ready. Um, And, and the parent, they, their, their husband, they want their husband, but their husband's not ready. Yeah. Um, do you have any wisdom or counsel for, for somebody that might be in that situation uh, today? Yeah, I do. Um, well, for one, it's two, two very different groups. Okay. And so two very different scenarios. So let me just take, let me just take the spouses first and then we'll talk about the families and the kids. So for the spouses, you really, really need to find someone who's safe. And this mm-hmm. really goes for the addicts as well, by the way, find someone safe to be able to share this with. Now, that may be really hard to come up with someone who you feel is safe, but these days, and we're experiencing this now with this, one of the great byproducts of this COVID-19 pandemic is the fact that now people are on board with the idea that you don't need to be sitting in an office, in a, in a counselor or a therapist or a coach's office or whatever, to be able to get the help you you need, you can use things like this, you know, yeah. like Zoom and video conferencing and all. And of course, I've been using that as part of our ministry model for for years, for a long, long time. So we know it works. Uh, now the rest of the world is figuring out it works. So I say that to say that if you're, if you feel like you're so isolated, that you're away from uh, anyone that you can really trust, well, reach out to someone who you don't know but who has the credentials and who has the, the, the training and the qualifications to be able to help you and give you good advice. So one of the things they could do is they could certainly connect through masterclass and all of our specialists. I mean, we have, um, like I say, over like 150 people by the time we roll this next piece out uh, this summer, right now we've got about 80 or 90, I think, you know, in total faculty It's incredible. Uh, all those people are reachable. They're just average people like you and I, you know, they have their own ministries, some are counselors, some are coaches, some are mentors, uh, but all of them are in the care providing area. And because of where we're at right now with this pandemic, all of them are doing Zoom. So they're all doing Zoom meetings, even the therapists that used to be restricted because of their profession to not be able to do what they called telemedicine. 
very old term, but um, the idea of working with someone outside of their state board certification, now they can work with anyone in the world. Yeah. So people are more um, accessible than ever. So if there isn't anyone that you really feel like you can trust with this information, for most people, for most of you who are watching this, that you know, right right away, you can pretty much scratch off everyone in your family. You know, mm-hmm. definitely mom and dad. You know, unless mm-hmm. you have a really really unique relationship there. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of your friends, uh, you could have someone who's a really you know close friend deep and caring, but if they've never experienced this before, they're really going to be at a loss for how to guide you properly. And this is where a lot of spouses get really bad advice. They, especially in the church, the church is the worst place possible to go for help on this. I'm just telling you, which is crazy because we have really the only solution in Jesus Christ to be able to be free from this, but we're the worst place to go to look for help. Mm. But there are Christians like myself, like our mentors, like what you're going through in the training, you know, there are, there are people who are Christ followers who are trauma informed, uh, and, and, you know, or who are sexual addiction informed and those who have walked this walk as well, who really can help you. Um, and so the first thing to do is you got to, you got to find someone to be able to bring it into the light with, okay. Mm -hmm. Cannot hold on to this on your own and remain alone and isolated because you will feel like you're the only one struggling and you will feel like no one else is, you know, no one else has a spouse like mine or, you know, when you talk about the family, no one else has kids that are looking at the kind of stuff that my kids are looking at or whatever could not be further from the truth, but it's very natural for us that way. And so part of removing the stigma and empowering you to be able to take the next hard steps on dealing with this is to find someone who can really understand this and who can help guide you. And then you just need to get help. Um, One of the things that we're back on the spouses for a second, one of the things that we now know that we didn't know in this area 10 years ago, uh, or even more recent than that is we used to treat the spouses horribly through this. And, and, you know, we would use things, terms like co-addict or codependent or, you know, somehow this is kind of your fault. You know, the, the way that he's, the fact that he's like this. And like my wife was told by people, well, you're not being sexual enough with him. You should, you know, try to have more sex and be more, you know, alluring and attract all this stuff, which couldn't be further from the truth of what needed to happen. But that's some of the bad advice that was there in the old model. Over the more recent years, there's been a, a whole bunch of people who have become more trauma informed and folks who have looked at this through a trauma model lens, starting with a woman uh, by the name of Barbara Steffens, who we interviewed uh, in one of our virtual summits, and she's in the masterclass. And uh, there are a lot of others who have followed after her, Dr. Sherry Keffer, and uh, of course, Marsha Means. She co-wrote uh, this book with Dr. Dr. Steffens, who, you know, is an, if you're sitting out there as a missionary and you're the spouse of someone you suspect is a sex addict, you got to get their book. It's called Sexually Addicted, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse. Hmm. It's a game changer because it's filled with stories that you will identify with. I promise you, you will um, feel validated and you'll feel affirmed for the first time that you're not the only person, that you're not going crazy. And so these are the things that happen that you need to go through that process. But the other thing is you need to understand that once you deal with the issue of, hey, this isn't my problem, it's his problem, 
sometimes people take that too far and they go, well, it's not my problem. It's his problem. So I don't have any problems. So if he would just get well and he would just get fixed, we'd be fine. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Betrayal trauma is a very, very real, uh, you know, kind of side effect of this. So if you've been in a relationship with a sexually addicted spouse, you've been traumatized. Hmm. And if you have any trauma in your past, whether that's kind of big T trauma, like being, you know, a sexual abuse survivor or incest survivor or whatever, or a small T trauma of, you know, I just had parents that weren't really all that supportive and, you know, heard, heard my mom say once, you know, you'll never amount to anything or, you know, you'll never be able to get a man unless you do such and such or whatever, you know, whether it's big T or small T trauma that can then really get exasperated, exasperated, I guess, the right word, but it can really blow up on you when you discover that your spouse is looking at pornography or they've been connecting with others via, you know, webcam or they have an affair partner or they've been having anonymous sex in the local village or whatever. One of our amazing mentoring couples uh, or teaching couples within um, Bravehearts is Troy and Melissa Haas. And if you're a missionary and this is an area of concern for you, in terms of your primary relationship, I would absolutely positively recommend that you come to Masterclass, sign up for a month. It's going to be worth the 30 bucks you spend. And you can drop it after that if you, if you can't afford to keep going on or whatever. Go in and listen to Troy and Melissa Haas's story. They were missionaries in Africa that, uh, you know, he had uh, been sexual with a lot of women in the village that they were ministering to, you know, people to. And wife had no idea, you know, she was, she was pregnant. She was like six months pregnant when he got called out of the mission field because this had become known. Hmm. And, um, and actually uh, she ended up coming, you know, back once she actually had to give birth to their child in Africa because she couldn't travel. She was so far along, might've been wow. seven months or something like that. And then came to the States with the child and they uh, went and worked with a great guy by the name of Russell Willingham, who's also a person that we've interviewed and is a masterclass, um, who has a great program in California. This was back, um, Aaron, this was back like in the late nineties when okay. all this happened with them early 2000. And, uh, and they have an amazing ministry. And one of the things they're really passionate about their, their ministry is, um, here in the Atlanta area. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Hope quest. So um, Hope Quest is the name of the, the organization. And shouldn't surprise you, they have a big heart for missionaries. Yeah. And they have a really, really great residential program for missionaries who, like them, may need to be called out of the missionary field to, to be dealing, you know, to really deal with this. If things have blown up and there's been a big discovery um, and, you know, everything's in process, everything's moving, they would be a great couple to connect with. But I'm telling you, every one of your folks, if they just hear them tell their story in our, you know, in our yeah. master class, uh, and I, I'll get you the links to that so that if okay. anyone wants to check that out and maybe we can, you know, put a part of their interview or something for free so people can just hear it. Uh, I'd love to do that because it'll speak to your heart because they're yeah. missionaries. They have a, they have a missionary heart and that's where they felt like God was calling them to. And when this thing blew up, now they, have a mission. Now they have a ministry to missionaries. Yeah. And of course they work with other, all kinds of folks as well, but uh, they'll, and they, we talked about it quite a bit in our interviews that we've done. Um, you know, how big of an issue, this is a huge issue 
a huge issue in the missions field. So yeah. it's very unlikely that this has not come up, uh, you know, or that this is not going on to some degree, either in your marriage relationship or uh, with your kids. On yeah. the kids' side, it's the same kind of rules, um, Aaron, but uh, just to, you know, just to kind of wrap a bow on that part of it, the thing I would warn you of is if you have a kid who's like a preteen or, you know, a young teen and you find out that, you know, they've got pornography on their laptop or whatever, and you tell them to get rid of it, and, you know, you think it's done with, but then you check back and they're still looking at it and stuff. You know, that's an age of, of sexual exploration. That's an age of discovery. And just because you may think, oh my gosh, my kid's an addict, you know, he's a mm-hmm. porn addict. Um, it's very, very unusual. Very, it's not, it's not um, totally out of the question, but it's really, really unusual to find a young kid who's truly sexually addicted. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they could be putting their feet on the pathway that could take them there years down the road. Um, but, uh, and it definitely needs to be treated seriously, but there's a whole different conversation to have about having the, you know, what, how do you have a dialogue with your kids about this? And I got some really good resources and probably the best way to help your audience is just to, for them to be able to access those resources through your website. And I'll pass on a couple links to you for that. That's That's great. And so just one, one last thing. And then I'd like, I'd like for you to pray, pray for the audience. You talked about yeah. trauma. I've heard mm-hmm. people say, you know, if I look at, if I look at porn, it, it should, it shouldn't bother my wife. It shouldn't bother. And there's no way that it's going to harm her because that's my relationship with the screen or whatever. But you weren't used the word trauma because of that relationship. Could you just give us one or two minutes on why you, why you use the word trauma so we can sure. understand the, 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 um, the importance and the significance of that? Yeah. Well, really, I mean, the idea of it traces all the way back in scripture to Jesus when he was talking, you know, about how I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully upon a woman is committing adultery in their heart. Adultery is a big deal. Adultery was dealt with as a death pen, as a death um, sentence, you know, for certain people, you know, back in biblical times. And even today, my wife who served four years in the army reminds me that, you know, if you're, if you're a person who's been caught in an adulterous uh, relationship, uh, you can be dishonorably discharged from the, from the military. I mean, it's, uh, but our culture has gotten really numb to it. And, you know, uh, kind of the, the, um, uh, they've taken a lot of the meaning and seriousness out of it. <clears throat> and, and a lot of young people have, you know, kind of diffused it uh, just by being exposed to so much sexual content and I'm not talking about X-rated stuff, but just sexual innuendo and kind of inappropriate, you know, uh, sexual contact or, or uh, you know, relationships. I think of things like The Bachelor or Bachelorette, things like that, or just very, or, you know, I talk to people who are like, oh yeah, we watch Game of Thrones with my small group. It's like, really? Like, seriously? <laughs> um, you know, we know it has nudity in it, so that's really yeah. smart, right? Yeah. But so it really has, it really has been, um, you know, it has been mainstreamed. Uh, but the 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 one place where you really see where the damage is done and where the trauma shows up is when you see two people in a committed relationship. And when you see that spouse, the partner of the addict who has given their life over, you know, going back to marriage vows, right? Uh, given their life over to this individual, has entrusted them with 
the rest of their life with their hopes, with their dreams, feels like that person's got their back, you know, and you go forward a couple years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years plus, the, the more time in the relationship before the discovery of, oh my gosh, well, how long have you been looking at pornography? For how long? Our whole marriage? You know, it's like everything falls apart in their life. It, it, mm. Their life crumbles into a million pieces and, they, and the emotions and the, and, and this is what's amazing about it. It's not just, I'm not just using anecdotal evidence here. Uh, Barbara Steffens did a, uh, as her thesis, part of her thesis, she did a study on this comparing the effects and impacts on partners of sex addicts to those who have suffered through PTS and PTSD. Wow. And they found that this relational or betrayal trauma was leading to the very same symptoms. Hmm. And, and so symptomatically, it was having a similar impact on people, you know, compared to soldiers that were coming back from, from wartime and, you know, and traumatic experiences there. And so they really did an exhaustive study. And now it's, it's, now it's really considered totally acceptable and understandable that, again, just about every partner of a sex addict uh, has a, you know, either big T or small T relationship uh, with their partner when they've been disclosed. Now there's that period of time where they don't know yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you may be watching this right now and you go, my husband's never told me that, or there's never been a discovery or a disclosure is what we call, you know, being told. Um, and, but you have a hunch that something's there, but even then when you find out, when you see it on their laptop, when you intercept the, you know, the email message from an affair partner, when you, you know, get told by your doctor that you have an STD and you're like, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. The only person I've been sexual with is my husband. You have an STD. You know, I mean, when those things happen, that's traumatizing. And so what happens is their primary relationship, and and this is especially heinous for missionaries because typically your missionaries are already isolated. It's like, who do I turn to? My Hmm. best friend, you know, girl I grew up with in school and stuff. She's over in the States. I have no one to turn to and to talk about my husband and what he's, you know, doing or whatever. And can't talk to him because he's really defensive or he doesn't, he's blowing it off. Like he doesn't have a problem or whatever. So it's just really, um, it's a big, big deal and it's hugely impactful and it stays with these women for a long time and it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. So it throws the relationship into total chaos. Uh, and, um, so you need to, you need to really find someone who's trauma informed if you're the spouse. Uh, and, um, and I will tell you that still, uh, the vast majority of people who are counselors, especially Christian counselors are not trauma informed. Hmm. So they really Hmm. don't understand this. Yeah. And so they're like, they're likely to give advice like, well, you know, why don't you and your husband just start planning some date nights, you know, or why don't you guys plan some special time here? Or why don't you just, you know, maybe get a, a nice little negligee or something, see if they can send it from the States. I mean, it's just horrible, well-intending, but they don't have a clue. Yeah. And so what does that do? That re-traumatizes yeah. the person and until they get the help and, and when you have any level of trauma like that, you really, really need to get professional help. So again, it goes back to the prescription we had earlier, Aaron, of find someone who's safe, 
share that with them, ask them to walk through this with you. They don't even have, I mean, all they need to do is just kind of help you find the right resources. And then, you know, you can kind of take it from there, but just remember that you have a right to recovery too. And even though this may be, you could totally put this on your spouse as he's the one who's addicted or he's the one looking at porn or having the affair or whatever, but you've been hurt too. And the, the longer you go denying that, maybe because you're angry or you don't want to have to deal with it because they're the one who brought it into the marriage. The longer you push that off and put it off, the worse it's going to affect you health wise, psychologically, spiritually. I've seen a lot of women just turn and walk away from God on this. Like, how could you do this to me? Uh, you know, it can really go, it can really go sour fast. So that's, that's why you want to hear stories like Troy and Melissa who yeah. actually most people would have given them like zero chance for their marriage to stay together, but they have been able to, and God's turned their story into a, you know, into a ministry. Amen. Will you pray for us today and pray for, pray for the audience. Maybe somebody out there struggling. Maybe there's a spouse out there that's that's struggling. Just pray that God will use this um, time and your wisdom um, in their life um, today. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks. Um, Yeah. Father God, um, Gosh, what an honor it is to uh, know that uh, you are um, the great counselor, great healer, that through Jesus, um, uh, that we can find our way to freedom, that it's for freedom that he came to set us free, that we don't have to live in bondage to this uh, for the rest of our lives. So, Father, I'm just praying, first and foremost, for anyone who's watching or listening to this, uh, know that freedom is possible. Uh, Not only that, but it was a promise. It was a promise from Christ, that that was his mission to come set us free. And uh, there are a lot of believers, there are a lot of Christians who are living in bondage today to this, um, either because it's your personal issue of habitual sexual sin, or it's your spouse or partners or loved ones. Uh, And you feel just as much in a prison as you could imagine an addict would. Um, But you may be angry, you may be hurt, Uh, You may be fearful. Uh, You may be totally embarrassed. Um, You may think, I never, ever want to speak word of this to anyone, but that is your death sentence. You don't want to do that. You want to, you've just got to know that there are other people out there. There are other women. There are other men who have walked your walk and who have come out the other side of it. And they would love nothing more than to kind of stick it to the enemy and take his victory away from your life and bring you into a fellowship of healing, a fellowship of other freedom seekers and uh, connect you to, um, yeah, to a, to a new journey that will lead you, believe it or not, into an even deeper relationship with God and hopefully also a deeper marriage relationship for those of you that are married. Uh, also, I just want to say to anyone out there who is the, the partner or a loved one of someone who's uh, addicted, regardless of what that uh, addicted person has told you, um, this is not your fault. It's not because you're not pretty enough, you're not sexy enough, or you don't have a certain look, or you don't wear certain clothes, or it has nothing to do with that, even though you may have been told that. It has nothing to do with you. You are loved, cherished, honored, special child of God. And you are enough. You're enough for God. 
you're enough more than you can ever imagine, even though you've been told maybe, or you feel deep down in your bones that you aren't, you must not be enough because why else would he look at these images? Why else would he be in this relationship? Why else would he turn to that material? That's a lie from the pit of hell. And as long as the enemy can get you to believe that, he will keep you right where he wants you. But that's not where God wants you. So I just pray for those of you who uh, are, especially the, the spouses or partners of addicts, you have a right to recovery too. You need to be free from the bondage that the sexual sins of your partner have put you under. Uh, you can be free and still be married and have a better marriage than ever. But that second part is not under your control. So let me just speak to the those who struggle with habitual sexual sin for a moment. Um, you can't keep hiding. It's going to be found out. If it hasn't already, it's going to come out. And the longer you put it off, it's going to be worse than ever. But please don't, don't rush to the temptation to just back up the dump truck and say, you know what? I want to, I want to get this off my chest once and for all. And you dump all of, all of these things that you've done over the years on your wife and you put the burden on her. Please don't do that. Uh, the pathway for you is clear. Find someone you trust to confide in. Get them to help you find the help that you need. And at some point in time, there you will need to have full disclosure to your spouse. And as much as that may scare the living daylights out of you, it is the only path to freedom. It's the only pathway. And the sooner that you can become informed enough as to how you can do that in a healthy and safe way for both of you, but especially for your spouse, so that the trauma that she goes through isn't debilitating to her and totally destructive to her. The sooner you can put those pieces in place and do the hard thing and get this out in a proper disclosure, the better off you will be, the better off your spouse, your family will be. But don't put it off because it's, it will only get worse over time. This is the enemy's number one strategy for taking people out of the mission field. I totally believe that. And you don't need to, you don't need to lose this battle. Uh, you can be free. There can be victory. But just like the spouses can't control how their addicted partners will respond, you can't control how your spouse will respond. And if she's devastated and if she's angry and if she throws a fit and if everything comes unglued, that is part of the, the hidden consequences of this area of undealt with sin. But I promise you, it will get worse over time. It won't get better. So you won't be able to hide it. The best thing to do is to step up and to deal with it. If we can do anything to help you, uh, we'd love to. But um, brother, just spend that time uh, just getting real and getting honest with God. And then find, find someone to confide in. God wants you off the sidelines. We all want you off the sidelines. We want you living out the very best that he has for your life. So I just pray this for anyone who's uh, watching or listening this, that you have the courage to trust God with this. This is not too big of an issue for God. It may feel like it to you, 
that it may be too big for you, and that's okay. This is when you need to lean on God. And just know that from this point forward, your life will be transformed because once you know what you need to do, you'll be very restless until you actually take action. Uh, let us help you. Um, let Aaron help you. Uh, there are people who, who want to see you continue in the mission field and to be stronger than ever. But this area of undealt with sin will be like a cancer that eventually will take you out and will probably take some of your loved ones out too. So I pray that you have strength and courage and the conviction to deal with this now while it's on your heart instead of putting it off. And I pray as always, God's graces, his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy on your life. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. And amen.